Well, good morning once again, Bridge City Church Murraysville. I am so excited to be here with you today. Um, I, I hope you're excited. I believe God has something specifically to uh, say to you, to speak to you, to encourage you today. And uh, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the house, this is out of Psalm 127, verse 1, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Why is this so important? This is it. We don't just live in a Christian tolerant society anymore. We live in a very anti-Christian culture right now. Do you live in the same world I live in right now? We live in a culture right now that wants to throw more money in programs at our culture's problems. But what I believe most of all what we need is homes that are built on the foundation of God's truth. See, I believe that if we would have homes that are built on the foundation of God's truth, it wouldn't be in vain. I don't believe that we need more money in programs. What I believe is we need parents fully engaged with the next generation. Are you with me? And, um, and so, listen, I'm, I'm, for those of you listening at home, I'm sporting a BCC Kids shirt because um, I believe in generations, and we're sharing a lot about the next generation. And for all of our uh, Bridge City Church uh, kids ministers and our student ministers, can we just give them a big hand and thank them for what they do? Thank you all so very much. All of you scattered here and they're working. Thank you very, very much because they're doing such a great, great job. And I also have my, these are my parenting jeans. They have holes in the knees. Any parent knows if you're going to parent today's day and age, you're going to pray a lot. Come on, am I right? Come on, you're going to pray a lot. So I just thought I'd model for you principle number one. You're going to get close to Jesus if you're going to parent in today's day and age here. And um, listen, parenting's rough. And um, I, as many of you may have heard recently that um, Tom Brady came back out of retirement. And there's a reason that he did, the reason why he did. Listen, he just figured out it was a lot easier to get hit by 300-pound linemen than stay at home all day with young kids. Come on, I just love. How many, how many of y'all moms say that shit? I mean, Tom was home for like a month. He's, I'm going back to work. I'm like, I'd, I'd rather run for my life. Come on. And, uh, but that's not the men in this church. Come on. That's right. The men here know, listen. We ain't, we ain't afraid of 300-pound linemen, and we are not afraid of a four-year-old. Come on, somebody. We will not be held hostage to either one. Where's the men out there? Are you with me now? Come on, where's the men out there? Come on, that's right. There we go. But parenting is hard work. But you know, if we're going to build God's house, unless the Lord builds the house, listen, we, we need to realize something. Jesus needs to be more than our consultant. He needs to be the master builder. See, many people are trying to use Jesus as a consultant to their life rather than Jesus has a blueprint for my life and he should be the master builder of my life. See, there's a huge difference between those two things. And so unless the Lord builds the house, and I've already said it, listen, what I believe our culture and society needs more than anything is parents fully engaged. Now, you may be sitting here today and you say, well, my kids are grown. I don't have kids or I don't have kids yet. Or maybe, you know, maybe I'll never have kids. Listen, I believe it's, uh, it's up to the church community that we support parents and we support families so that they can raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Is anybody with me now? Yeah. 
Now, you may be sitting here today, and you may be saying, well, I failed, or I flubbed up. Listen, I have done a lot. My, my wife, Natalie's here, and, and uh, actually, um, uh, our one son's here today to keep me honest in what I'm sharing. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 and listen, we, 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 we did a lot of things not so right. Any parents out there can relate to that. We did a lot of things not so right. And we did a couple of things that are good. And, and I'm just trying to share the word of God to encourage you because I believe families need encouraged. And I believe that, 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 that if you're raising, you're raising kids in today's day and age, you need encouraged. And so I want to speak life to you today. I want to speak life. And so we're going to be going to Deuteronomy chapter 6 today. And um, in, in Deuteronomy, remember, in what's going on here, there's generational transition happening. There's a transition from one generation to another. They were going into the, to the, to the promised land. And I believe that God has promises for our children, just like he does for all of us people that aren't so young anymore. Right? Yeah. God still has promises on my life. Are you with me? Come on, every generation has promises. And there's a generational thing. It's the fifth book in the Bible. It covers two months here. There's a sense of urgency on this book in Deuteronomy. It gives some very, very important things that we need to grab hold of as, as adults so that we can make sure that we do everything possible to help a generation know Jesus. And that's what I want to do. I want to do everything I can to help a generation know Jesus. And, and, um, and that, that's what this is about here. And so we're going we're gonna to launch out of here in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we ended this way last week. If you weren't here, you might want to go back and listen to it. And so you can catch the first three verses in chapter 6. But we're going to cover verses 4 through 9 today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you stand up to your feet just for a moment. That's right, stand up to your feet. And, um, and, and we're going to say a couple verses out loud. This is the Shema. In Jewish culture, they still do this today. There's actually three different texts in the Bible. If you could flip back to that one, one back, if you're interested in knowing what all of the texts are that, they, that a good Jewish home would read in the morning and sometimes even in the evening, they say this out loud. And this is your first assignment. Even if you're a household of one, you can read this, you can read this out loud every, every day this week. How many of y'all know if you quoted the word of God out loud, it would do you good? How many of you know surely it would not hurt? Okay. Okay, very good. And so, um, so now we're going to go, and we're just going to read a couple verses out loud together. And we're going to start off by, by quoting the word of God together. How many of y'all think that's a good thing? Okay, can y'all see those words? Okay, I want to hear you real loud, real loud. Here we go. Listen, the Lord your God. Keep it up real loud, real loud. Repeat them. Heavenly Father, I just pray, God, that these words that we just said out loud, Lord God, are going to become a reality even in this time, Lord. God, help all of our households, every household represented here, Lord God, be built upon the foundation of your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
Amen. You could be seated. Wasn't that good? Come on. So listen, this is what's at stake. What's at stake is the church of 2050. Listen, should Jesus tarry and not come back? We need to be thinking about the church of 2050. Some of you are saying, well, I don't even know if I'll be here then. Well, listen, I want to leave a legacy, and everybody leaves a legacy. Do you know that? The, the good news is, is you get to choose whatever legacy you're going to leave. I don't know if you know this. You get to choose your legacy. Nobody hands you a legacy. You choose it by the way you live now. That's, that's the truth of a legacy. And I want to leave a good one, the church of 2050 that is strong. So what's it going to take the church of 2050 to succeed? Uh, we're going to cover three things today. First of all, the priorities. The priority of one God. A personal relationship with God's word and perpetual persistence. And that's to overemphasize. It's going to take a lot of persistence. Are you ready this morning? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Verse 4. Verse 4. The priority of one God. Verse 4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. God is saying here that, if, listen, if we're going to experience the promises of God, he, he needs to be number one. See, I believe personally that God's a, a jealous God. And when we put other things before him, he, he, that's not cool. And we can put other things before him. Money, achievements, schooling, uh, sex, promotion, uh, relationships. We can even put past hurts before him. We can even put our past that becomes bigger than our future before him. And I believe that what he's saying right here to start this off is this, is that the Lord our God, he alone is one. This actually refers to the first of the Ten Commandments. Many people today say that the Ten Commandments are in the Old Testament and Jesus did away with them. I don't know if you've read them. They're good commandments. No, I'm serious. They're good. We, we, need to, we, we still need the Ten Commandments. How many ever with me? No, I'm serious. I hear people saying, well, that's all Old Testament. We don't have those anymore. Listen, that whole thing about not murdering and stealing and all that stuff, that's good. Anybody with me? Do you live in the same world I do? I don't know why you'd want to do without that, you know? Come on. I mean, that's important. I'm being honest because that leads us to Jesus. And so it refers to the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. You shall have no other God before me. This is, and, he's, and, and, and the writer, is, and Moses is repeating chapter 5, because that's in chapter 5. He's saying these are the commandments that you need to remember here. World redemption is, is, is going to be founded on the premise of God is one God. World redemption, the one who creates and redeems, is we have one God. He's not one God of many. He's the only one. I have people tell me all the time, well, that sounds pretty exclusive. Yes, it is. No, I'm serious. I'm, I, I don't apologize for that. I, 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 I can't get together with people who have a whole bunch of other gods. We have a different God. We have a different system. We have a different culture. We have a different belief system. You can't say that in a lot of places. But we're in church, and that's what God says. So this is what governs our lives, the word of God, right? It, so no, no other gods here. So let me ask you a question. Is there enough evidence to convict you that God alone is the foundation of your household? 
Like if we would watch your life over the last seven days, going to the next seven, is there enough evidence to convict you that God alone is the God of your household, found in your, your schedule, in your calendar, found in the way that you spend money in your finances, the, your value of church community? How about just your own personal devotion? Is there enough evidence to convict you that there is one God, God the Father, his son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going for here. Yeah, he's, he's all over my life, and he's in my life completely and fully. But this is the problem. We live in a day and age in a culture where everybody personally gets to determine if, if they're a member in their membership status in God's community. Let me, let me communicate this way. For those of you that, that, that are parents and you have, you have, you have kids, if, you're, if your little princess only showed up for one out of four practices leading up to the dance recital, would she be in the recital or not? Most likely not, right? You need to show up. It needs to be more than one out of every four. Is that pretty good? How about if, if your new, uh, if your little major league future slugger Johnny is in, in Little League, and he shows up maybe two out of every weeks, two out of every four weeks. Would he be considered still on the team, or would the coach say, you just come when it's convenient for you? Would the coach say, you know, Johnny, whenever it feels good for you, you come. Have any of you been in sporting, sports lately? How many of y'all know that wouldn't go? Am I right? Church is the only organization, I believe, on the planet where everybody gets to determine their level of involvement and still call themselves a full-fledged member. What I'm trying to say is if we want to experience the promises of God in our life, we got to go back to one God, one way. There's, there, there, there's, there's one set of values. There's one culture. There's one thing that we believe in. Amen. This is what I'm challenging us in. I'm I'm challenging here. Is there enough really to convict me of this? This is important. Now, many people, they'll say, you know, well, the Bible's narrow-minded. Have you ever heard people say that? It's so narrow-minded, and it's old-fashioned, and it doesn't work today. Do you talk to people today? This is what I hear all the time. And so, um, and and I heard something recently. It was really helpful in my conversations like this. let's Let's just pose the right question. Because there's always, there's a, there's a culture in society that believes that there's a better way to do relationships. There's a better way to do households. There's a better way to do marriage. There's a better way to do all this stuff. Let me ask you a question. If everybody in Murraysville, Pittsburgh, Allegheny County, Westmoreland County, state of Pennsylvania, east Eastern states of, of the United States. How about everybody in the United States? If everybody, let's say in our community or take any one of those, lived according to the premises and the culture and values of, of the Bible for marriage, for, for households, for finances, to get their values from, would we have a better culture in society or worse? Listen, this is the question nobody wants to answer. Well, I just don't like that. I want to live with whoever I want to live with. Would your relationship be better or worse? Follow me here. Would your self-esteem, your self-worth, 
Would there be less STDs or more if we all lived according to the Bible or not? I'm asking, you know, a rhetorical question, but it really creates a value system that the problem isn't God's word, the problem is our sinfulness. In, in many, what our culture and society is trying to say that God's word is too restrictive, it's too exclusive, and so we have to shed it off for a better way that produces more or less good self-esteem and identity. Are you with me? Homes that are built on peace. Like if, if every man and woman that was married in this room, if we would just simply live according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, live to the standards here, would your relationship be better or worse? See, I'm asking rhetorical questions, but these are the ones that nobody wants to answer. I'm trying to show that when we have God alone, it's better. And we're so apologetic over the call, like the Bible. We can become apologetic over, well, you know, I do believe this. I can't even find myself doing that sometimes. Well, you know, yeah, I do believe, you know, this is a better way. It's like, no, it's a better way. You're healthier. You're better off. Marriages are healthier. You're healthier. See, this, th that's really the question. And in the midst of all this, it's okay. Let me give you permission to wrestle with your faith. No, I really, I really want to say this because I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about a God who I'm trying to figure out on a day-to-day -day basis in how not just he fits into my plans, but how do I fit into his and it's okay at times to wrestle with what you believe. And if you raise kids, we, we raise five kids, every one of them have struggled with their faith at different times. That's okay. That doesn't make me a failure. That doesn't make me, that's not what we believe. We believe in God and you better too. No, we wrestle with our faith. And we're allowed to wrestle with our faith, but we have to have a system by which we wrestle to find the right conclusions based on, is the word of God true, and is God true and good for us? And so I'm trying to take off the per perfect, there's no such thing as perfect parents. I shared that last week from Genesis 4 on. It's hard to find a good example, I'm being honest. But that doesn't mean we stop trying because we serve a great God and a God who can be trusted even in the midst of this all. And, and so we got to realize that when we wrestle with this today, it, it, it's not about a, a, a donkey or elephant theology. It's about the, the lion and the lamb. See, we got, we got to grab a hold of this. See, there's, there's the lion and the lamb, which in the Bible represents, you know, God the Father, Jesus the lamb. And then the other option for the party you want to belong to is the snake and the crocodile. I'm letting that sink in a little bit. Genesis 1, and then Leviathan, the crocodile. Which, do you, which party do you want to be a part of? 
See, nobody really wants to answer that question. They want us to get arguing on a temporary level, on this level that we live in in our culture and society, when there's something so much bigger at stake. And while we get arguing on this level, there's something bigger that we're missing. Are you with me? So we got to have the priority of one God. Here it is. And, and remember, there's no such thing as kids out of order. There's only parents with their priorities out of order. Grab a hold of that. I hate that statement. And yes, I'm the one that made it. I do. Because I'd rather blame, I, listen, I'm really, good at the, I'm really good at the Adam, you know, in, 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 in Genesis. I'm really good at hiding and blaming. How about you? When something doesn't go wrong, I hide, I blame. I'm really good at that. It was perfected in Genesis like three. But we got to shed that off and say, I know what I believe. Are you with me? Come on, here we go. Let's look at this next one, personal relationship with God's word. Verses five and six. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. This is the central theme. Jesus quoted this as the first and greatest commandment. He quoted this in Matthew 22. So what does God want most of us? Our love and attention and affection. So if we're going to love God, we have to speak his love language. What's his love language? Obedience. That's Jesus' love language. Are we, are we filling up his tank? Yeah, Jesus read letters. If you love me, obey my commands. Listen, I shared this before. Listen, I, my wife doesn't want my, my sorrow. She, she needs my obedience to the word of God. Because that creates love to God and it creates a love relationship to her. It creates a love relationship to your children. It creates a love relationship to the next generation. We're going to model what it means to love Jesus and know him intimately here. We're in a culture right now that is infatuated with, with God's love but not infatuated with demonstrating God's love back to him. No, we live in a culture right now. God loves me. There's mercy. There's grace. There's all this to me. But we don't live in a culture that's infatuated with, I love obedience. I love to obey. Pastor, give me another command. I was just reading another one. Let's do it. No, I'm serious, we don't live in that right now, right? But really, what's Jesus' love language? If we're gonna love God, we, yes, it's affection and it's attention. So let me give you four ways we can demonstrate a love for God to the next generation. Show them a passion for God's word. Listen, you don't have to know everything about God's word, but you can have a passion for it. I still don't know everything there is to know about God's word. Thank you for thinking I did know. But I don't, never claim to. I'm learning new things all the time. New things I'm looking up going, I never saw that before. But I have a passion for God's word. And if we're gonna have a generation, we're gonna be a generational church, we must have a passion for his word. Then a passion for worship. I was so blessed the young people that were worshiping over here today. They were like, you know, I said, raise your hand and they're all raising their hands. And I'm like, yeah, that's my people. I'm like, that's my people right there, yeah. 
No, I'm serious. They were like going at it. It was like so much fun. I'm like, I'm like, this is great. You know, and people said, why are you wearing a shirt today? I said, you get to be with the little kids. I got to be with the big ones. You know, it's like, you know, come on. No, like, but they were worshiping in a demonstration of the worship. We love to worship God beyond personality. Yeah. How about show them a servant's heart at home, in a church, at the ball field, in the middle of Walmart, wherever you may find yourself, whatever mission field you're in. And show them an attitude of gratitude with humility. See, these are the ways that we demonstrate a love for God. This is it. This is practical, right? This is as practical as it gets. But am I going to demonstrate these things to a generation that this is through problems? And and I don't just want to know about him. I want to know him. I don't just want to know about faith. I need a true faith. Right? Right? And I think one of the things that we do as parents, and I was guilty of this, of telling our kids what they believe rather than allowing them to experience what they believe. Big tension. I'm not sure I did that right all the time. I was pretty good at demonizing the culture rather than invading the culture with a better cultural point of view. I'm sharing with you some of the things I struggled with. But in the process, I can still model a love for God because I'm not perfect, but I really do love him. And his way works. And through ups and downs. Here's a quote for you. Great book. Oh my goodness, Valerie Bell here. If your young people are going to thrive in digital Babylon, they have to move beyond familiarity with Jesus to a place of intimacy with Jesus. Yeah, how about, that's good for all of us. Yeah, see, we need to go into a place of intimacy, a place of. Let me give you a practical example. Young people, uh, junior and senior high, this year we have two big events for them this summer. One is a youth camp that we want to send young people to. And the second is as a missions trip into Buffalo, New York, as an intro level to missions. And, and, and this is a way that we, we want our kids to experience intimacy with God. And, and we want them to do it, Right? But we have to have more passion for them going on a mission trip than we do for them attending camp of any other sorts. I'm not saying it's not an either or. You can do an and, but do we have enough passion? Do we have enough, do we back it up with finances? Do we back it up with our our schedule and our calendar? And maybe some of us in this room, maybe we can help a parent invest in their young people and help send them to one of these. Maybe God's going to put that on your heart. I don't know. But, I, but we as a church can do that because these things are important because they're not just go do this. There's go let's be this and let's experience the intimacy and the grace of God. But it has to show up in our priority list in a love for God in these things. What is going to de- what's going to define success here? What's going to define these things of success? We love God. We love his word. We love God's word. What does God's word say? I don't know. Let's figure it out together. Every person in this room can have a deep effect, deep and long-lasting effect on a young person. Every person here. Every person, well, I'm not their aunt or uncle. Welcome to the family of God. (laughs) We as one special family, come on. (laughs) Come on. 
I'm a part of that family. (laughs) Come on, we can have an effect. We can have a positive impact. In prayer, in knowing names, in believing God for. When's the last time you went to a parent or a, or, or a mom and said, how can I pray for you? And you put them on your prayer list. Every day we're going to pray for you. How many of you parents out there, do you think that would be helpful? If somebody was praying for you on a day-to-day basis. Okay, a couple of hands. How many parents out there think that would be the most horrible thing on the planet ever to happen to you? Oh, come on. No, I'm serious. These are real things. That it takes all of us working together to demonstrate that love. All of us this morning modeled for a generation of what it means to worship Jesus. And you're modeling right now what it means to be, have a total blast serving and loving Jesus. Loving and serving Jesus is fun. It's an adventure. You never know where you're going to end up. No, I'm serious. This is like... You mean we get to do this? You mean we get to like be a part of this? We have this thing coming up, the egg extravaganza. And you mean I get to come and be a part of it? Not, well, I don't have kids. Well, by the looks of it, man, we don't even want you around the kids. I tell you what. <laughs> but like maybe you could wait till after they leave and come clean up. I'm just saying, like, are you with me? Because if you're going to be there, we want you happy or wear a mask. Either or. I'm just kidding with the mask part. I'm just. No, are you, see, are you tracking me? Say, like, why we're doing this? We're not doing this so kids can have fun. If we want them to have fun, we would get them a, we'd get them a yearly pass to like, like Sky Zone or something. We're doing it so we can impact families with the gospel of Jesus because we have the truth that sets people free. That's what I want to be a part of. See, people are going to come here for a juicy juice, a hot dog, and some eggs, and we're going to give them Jesus. Ah! Are you with me? Well, pastor, that's a little bit of bait and switch. Listen, if you're going somewhere, if you're going somewhere on Easter weekend, and you don't think we're going to talk about Jesus, where have you been? Come on, I'm not going to apologize about that. Great things have been happening with our, with our young people on Wednesday nights. Story after story. And it's funny. I was sharing this with the other pastors, and they're saying, like, did any of those parents call you yet? I says, no, and I'm kind of bummed out. I want them to call because I want to tell them about what's going on. It's so good. It's positive. Are you with me? Revival's happening on Wednesday nights. Okay, let's move on. I'll stay there all day. (laughs) Perpetual persistence. Everybody say that out loud. Perpetual persistence. It's kind of hard not to say that like and sound like kind of like uppity. You know, it's like (laughs) perpetual. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. This is one of the most practical verses in the Bible. Repeat them. That means teach them diligently. This is more formal. And really, this means to sharpen. Have you ever sharpened a knife? Have you ever sharpened anything? It takes friction. Without friction, it doesn't get sharpened. 
So that means if you're going to sharpen your kids, there's going to be friction. Embrace the friction. No, I'm trying to help you. Many parents are held hostage by their kids. I refuse to be held hostage by a four-year-old. I refuse to be held hostage by a 14-year-old. There's going to be friction. Listen, people say to me all the time, well, my, my teens don't want to go to church. Since when did you ask them what they felt like doing? No, no, I'm not trying to help you. People say, well, they just won't go. They don't want to go. I say, listen, whose house do you live in? This is a very simple choice. In this house, we love God. This is what we do. And if you don't want to do it, you can find somewhere else to live. Now, many parents don't want to say that. As a matter of fact, if you live somewhere else, I could love you a lot easier if you live somewhere else. I'm not being mean. I'm not being sarcastic with this. I'm being truthful. That was the truth. Thank you. Listen, I'm just saying, this is what we do. Well, that's not right, Pastor. You're forcing. I do things all the time. On April 15th, I got to pay taxes. I'm not thrilled about that. Are you thrilled about that? Wow, I just want to pay more taxes. What do, who are you? Who are you? What do they do with your brain? Come on, like... No, 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 no. This for us, for our house. This is what we do. I was with um. We were watching some kids recently. My wife and I. And the twelve-year-old went into. He started. To, he started. I asked him to do something. He was like, "Well, you don't live here. You're not a part of this house." I went into full-blown dad mode. <laughs> I mean, it didn't even. I didn't have to think about it. It. He still lives in there. Okay. He just came out, and I was like, oh, yeah. As I walked towards him, explaining that he does not pay the mortgage of that house. Neither do I, but he does not. And he will not dictate what happens in the rest of the evening because I am there. And I'm like, as, I, as, as I'm getting closer, he started agreeing. The Spirit of God came on him. He was like, yeah, okay, yeah, you're still, you're still my house. I don't, I don't even live here anymore. It's like, it's like he... It's a true story. It's like, <laughs> no, I didn't sin. I just explained the way things are. I can say it with a pure heart. I didn't sin. I just said, this is the way it's going to be. Okay, now you've got, you've got to determine in your house how it's going to be. Like, this is our house. This is what we stand for. This is what we do. We don't do that. I'm the same person at church, at home, at work. Everywhere I go, I'm the same person. That's, that's a prerequisite. And then when you visit so-and-so's house in the church, they do the same thing. It's a church community with values. But many of us don't like the friction, and we don't feel adequate enough to talk to our kids, informally and formally. Talk to them. This is what the Word of God says. we got to get off of the digital crack. We do. I've been watching my screen time. I've been watching it. 
and watch them making sure it doesn't go up. I mean, there's certain times I listen to podcasts and stuff that makes your screen time go up, but, but just that scrolling, that endless parts, we got we to get off it. We got to get kids off it. I'm telling you, it, we, 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 we got to here. Now, there's, there's the average screen time usage from kids up to eight years old, it's 50 minutes a day. Eight to 12 years old, the average screen time is six hours a day. Teens, the average screen time is nine hours a day. Adults, we're not much better. We got to get off it. Now, there's a quote. My wife found this quote. It's a really, really good one here. The dumber the toy, the smarter the child. The smarter the toy, the dumber the child. And that's who the quote's by. When, you, when you, we constantly have a, a, a dumb toy, like a, 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 a smart toy, a, like an iPad digital, it, 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 it kills brain cells. I'm telling you. It, it, it erodes creativity. That's what I'm trying to say. It erodes those things. But we're always handing, I watch parents handing kids just shh, shh, shh. Four years old, they should be able to sit quiet in church and take notes. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I can't even do that. Come on, somebody. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. You think I'm kidding? Your five-year-old should be able to sit still and take notes in church and quiet and not bother people. <gasps> without a phone? Without a phone. No, I'm telling you, we got it. Are we happy with these statistics here? I'm going to move on. People ask me all the time, what translation of the Bible is best? I'm trying to teach my kids. What translation is the best? Listen, I'm going to tell you what translation is the best, the best in the world. Actually, it's whatever one you actually read is the best, but that's a different story. How about the everyday translation? That's where the word of God intersects with my everyday. It's whatever one you'll read. Because I don't like the message, I don't like this, I don't like the Passion Bible, I don't like this. Okay, if you'll read it, Glory. No, I'm serious. I'm not being smart. That's not, I'm just being honest. But the everyday translation. So I'm going to give you something real quick here. Um, real quick. I'm going to, um, parents, I'm going to give you the, the one thing you got to get today. This is one thing. If you throw out everything else, you got to get this. You got to seize the times. This verse, you got to seize dinner time, bedtime, drive time. That's the best advice I have for you today. If you don't get anything else right now, get this right here. Right here. This is the best thing I could tell you. Dinner time, turn off the TV in the name of Jesus. If it's a problem, get rid of it. Now you're meddling, Pastor. No, I'm serious. No, no, no. D like dinner time. Do you know how many stats? I don't have near the time. I have all these stats I could read to you. Uh, in, in, in very secular schools, actually, that study this, Columbia, Yale, I've looked them all up. When, when a family will have dinner together, sitting at a table, eating with no food, no phones, no nothing, f even four times a week, that's not even a lot. The statistics go up significantly. 
of not doing drugs, alcohol, sexual promiscuity. How many of y'all think that's a good thing? But we got we to make time and sit down. And then the bedtime, you got to sit down and pray. Talk about Jesus. That time of the day when you want nothing more than to just please God, release me. No, I'm sure we need to encourage parents. We need to encourage people. When bedtime comes, I know it's the end of your day. You're, all you're thinking about is, you know, please. You, that's your time. You got to sit down. You got to pray with them. And then, and then drive time. Turn, turn the radio off. This will be good for marriages too. Turn, turn the radio off. Talk to one another. Say, what if we're just, what if it's quiet? We have nothing to talk about. Make something up. Okay. <laughs> just a thought. <laughs> Is this helping you today? Yes. Unless the Lord builds the house, a priority of one God, personal relationship with God, intimacy here, and perpetual persistence over and over and over again. Okay, I'm just going to have a couple more verses. You got time for a couple more verses here? I want to ra- wind down here in um, the next two verses here. I want to I conclude eight and nine, verses eight and nine here. All these commands, all these things that we have here, um, this is what it was. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Wow. Um, Take the commands of God. And let them guard everything you do with your hands. Take the word of God and let it guard your thoughts. Take the word of God. Even even these couple verses, reading the Shema, reading it every day this week together as a family. Or you're again, you can be you can be the household of one. You can read it out loud. Right? Okay, let me give you a, a picture here. They used to have phylacteries. They were a little leather uh, container that they would roll. And some people say that it was all the verses of the Shema. Other, you could put other promises in them. They would roll them real tight, put them in there, like here. And then they would wear them on their hands and on their forehead. They literally would wear them. Actually, if you go to Squirrel Hill, you'll see people actually do this today. Jesus actually corrected them. He said, hey, you're only doing it for a show. Don't do it for a show. Do it to ma- do, do what really matters. So this isn't like, oh, look how holy I am. Matter of fact, they started making them real big to prove how holy they were. All they did was look like a unicorn. No, that's what he did. He, he corrected it. So don't do it as a show, but let... You and your house, this word guards what we do and guards my mind. Isn't it interesting? Listen to me. In Revelation 13, 9, many people, have, have, have you ever heard of the thing called the mark of the beast? Have you ever heard of this? Have you heard of that? And everybody gets consumed over the mark of the beast and what is the mark. And isn't it interesting that the mark of the beast goes on the same place as an imitation to what God has asked us to do with his word. Mark our hands, what we do. 
mark our minds. This is the way we think. And everybody's worried about the mark of the beast on our forehead and our hands. Let me just tell you something today. Everybody is going to be marked by something. You're either going to be marked by this book or marked by the world and its culture. But you're going to get marked. Choose wisely what marks you. But if you have this mark, there's no room for another mark. And I believe God's asking us to go back to the principle, foundational principles of the book. Will we be marked by this book? The mezuzah, they would take the same principle. They would roll up commands and promises of God and put them in this. And it would literally, they would literally put it on the doorpost, typically on the inside of the home as you walked out. If you go to Squirrel Hill, my brother who does a lot of work all through Squirrel Hill says he sees these all the time. They still exist today. Because every time you walk in that house, every time you walk out of that home, you touch, you touch that. You touch it. And then you kiss your hand. You take the word, take it into your life. You don't, I kiss it, no. You touch the word, you take it in. What would happen if every one of our homes, picture me, come on, track with me here. What would happen if in every single one of our homes, we had the commands of God on the doorpost that every time we left our house, we touched it. And we said, this is what's gonna guard my mind. This is what's gonna guard my thoughts. This is what's gonna guard my hands. Do you think our culture would be better? Do you think our culture would be worse? That's the right question. Matter of fact, I've been, a couple other people have been to Messianic congregations where in, in a Messianic congregation they believe that Jesus is the Messiah but they hold to some of the Jewish tradition I'm just going to oversimplify and at some point in that, in that service they have a big celebration they start singing in flags and they go at it and they take the word of God the rabbi takes the word of God and he walks through just like this and everybody there touches the word it's a, it's a Bible touches the word kisses their hand I'm taking this into my life. This is what guards my life. Not kissing the word, not loving the word. God loves me, touching the word, taking it in. They do, they do, and everybody, everybody touches it. Everybody, if you're in the middle, you, you elbow people, get out the way, I'm gonna touch that word. No, I'm saying this is what they do. I, I see it all the time. Every time I'm there, am I right? You've been there. Am I right? You, a couple of y'all have been there. So what if we just went through and just touched the word? That's what, that's what this is all about. Are you hearing me? It's about his word changing and transforming our lives. It's about I love God's word and I love, his, I love worship and, and it's not perfect. Get it, give up trying to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I've messed up a lot. That's why I have mercy in my life, the mercy of God. And then I have grace that empowers me. We. Will you stand to your feet with me today? You know, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm off script, but it's fun. This is my Bible. It's, it's my everyday translation. And I'm just going to walk around, and I just want you to touch it. And you don't have to kiss your hand, but just touch it. You can touch your heart or touch your mind. 
just as an outward symbol of what's going on in your, your heart. Let's just, just, I'm, I'm just going to go up and down the aisles here. So if you have a little song, I'm, I'm a, when I come back, I'm going to pray for everybody. So if you want to pray for something, but I believe in holy moments. And sometimes God gives us something to do outside that is a representative of something in our hearts. Is that okay? Okay. So I just want you to reach out and touch the Word. You can, you can just kiss your own lips. Like just, that's all. Don't kiss the Bible. Just, you just touch it. Come on, just reach out and touch it. Just reach out and touch it. Say, God, I need your word. I need your word, Lord God. God, I need your word. Come on. I need your word. I need your word, God. That's it. Just touch it. Like, come on, just, I need your word. That's all you're saying. You're not committing to anything. You're just saying this word has life for us. I'll come and get you guys. Come on, I need your word, God. I need your word, Lord Jesus. Come on, I need your word. I need it, God. I need it more than anything else on the planet, God. God, this is a, I'll come back to you, don't worry. Come on, come on, come on. I need your word, God. I need it, Jesus.